Thanks for tuning in to listen to this week's Torah study class. Stay tuned after the Torah study for details on how to stay in touch with this ministry and keep up with all of our content. I hope you enjoy the study. Shalom, everybody. We're back. We're, we are in the survey of the scriptures. We're in Shemot, Exodus chapter 26. And we are still obviously talking about the building of the Mishkan. <clears throat> this passage is about the Mishkan itself. Who remembers what Mishkan is, what root word it's rooted in? Does anybody remember? We talked about it last week. Shekinah. Shekinah, which means what? The weight, the glory. Yeah, the settling down upon. Not necessarily the weight. The weight is a kavod. Oh, that's right. Both of them get translated as glory. But Shekhinah means abiding, coming down and resting upon, staying upon, okay? Um, so he built it, made it out of 10 curtains. And the drosh that I did this year for this portion, I can't remember what portion this is, but whatever portion this is, if you backed up and looked, um, the drosh that I did, I equated this to the body of Messiah. I don't know if you remember that. <clears throat> Um, there's 10 curtains, fine twine linen, techelet, which who, who remembers what techelet is? Blue, sky blue. Sky blue, the special color of the priesthood. All right. Purple, scarlet. Who remembers what word for, what the word for scarlet is? Tola old. Shani, it's the, that's the worm, right? That's the which is the scarlet dye that comes from that tolaat worm, right? Which is a hint about Yeshua. So what we did in that drosh a few months ago was we talked about the colors that are related to the priesthood, that are related to Yeshua. All right. Um, of this, uh, the work of a skillful workman, shall you make them 28 cubits, five curtains coupled together, one to another, the other five curtains coupled to one to another, make loops of techelet upon the edge of one curtain. That is the outmost of the first set, the edge of the curtain on the outmost of the second set, 50 loops. Shall you make in one curtain, 50 loops in the edge of the second curtain. They shall be opposite of one another. 50 clasps of gold and couple the curtains one to another with the clasps. So you're making loops in the curtains and you're making gold clasps to hook them together. All right. <clears throat> Make the curtains of goat's hair for a tent over the Mishkan. 11 shall you make them. The length of each curtain shall be 30 cubits. The breadth, each curtain shall be four cubits. The 11 curtain shall have one measure. In other words, they should all be the same size. All 11 exactly the same size. Couple five by themselves and six by themselves. So that's one extra curtain on one side. 50 loops on the edge of one, 50 loops on the edge of the other. 50 class of brass instead of gold. 
All right. So this is another edifice of cloth, if you will, made in a similar fashion. Right. The tent over the Mishkan. The overhanging part, that's that 11th panel, right? Half of it shall remain over the, that remains over shall hang over the back of the Mishkan, cubit on one side, a cubit on the other side of that, which remains over the length of the curtains of the tent shall hang over the sides of the Mishkan. Make a covering for the tent of ram skins dyed in red and a covering of seal skins above. All right. So, so far, everything that we have here is kosher except for this. What do I mean by kosher? Everything's made from clean animals. If it's made from an anim animal, it's clean, and uh, the goat hair is from a clean animal, right? Mm -hmm. You can eat a goat. We haven't used goat of uh, the flesh of goat. We've used seal skins, right? And seals are not kosher, all right? There's, the reason I'm pointing that out is there are people in the Jewish community, the rabbinic community, who won't touch a football because it's made of pig. They won't let their children play with a, a NFL standard football. I don't think they make them a pigskin anymore, but that's why a football is called a pigskin. Is because it used to, that's why it has little dots on it. Those are little hair follicles <laughs> on the football. Um, there's other things that we do with unclean animal skin that some rabbinic people will not have anything to do with. And to me, that's an overinterpretation of scripture, mm -hmm. especially since God is putting this on the very He's, Mishkan. Yeah. Are you with me? Yeah. Okay, so that's... You can be over rabbinic and be violating the scriptures. You're building a fence around the Torah and you're limiting, you're changing God's mind is what you're doing. You know, if you're saying that you can never, ever touch a seal, there are, there are rabbinic Jews who won't even pet a dog because a dog is unclean. All right. Well, and we probably, I thought about this when I first came into this wall too. We're thinking about um, where it says you should not touch the carcass and this net of an unclean animal and all that. But then again, what it just says you're unclean until evening. It, it doesn't say it's, you know, like some mortal sin or whatever. Right. But what is a carcass? A dead animal. A dead body. You can't even touch a dead human being and walk away unclean. Right. So it has nothing to do with your heart and your relationship with God. It has everything to do with hygiene and not bringing germs around other people. So if you touch a dead carcass of any, of any kind, whether it's unclean or clean, you have to wash, right? Yes. So, so people overinterpret the scriptures and the rabbis are very good at it and they're very good at making it sound godly. And there's actually a verse in the scriptures that say that they sound like they're being like it's righteous behavior. It does. It sounds like righteous behavior, but it's an overinterpretation of scripture. 
It's just like, and we looked at this last week, I think, so we're not going to go back, but Mark chapter 7, where the, the, the Pharisees, who were rabbis, were chewing out Yeshua, who is a rabbi. They were chewing out his Talmudim for picking grain on the Sabbath, or no, for not washing their hands before they ate, mm -hmm. which is not a Torah command. It's a rabbinic command. And they, they take the command to be clean when you're in the temple and overinterpret it and say, you can't, you know, because the priests have to wash before they do anything. So they take that and apply it to all of Israel. Anytime they eat, they have to wash their hands. And Yeshua said, you are, you are doing violence to God's word by doing this. Okay. So, and that's Yeshua saying that to rabbis. You are doing violence to God's word. You're, you're, you, you subjugate the word of God for your own commandments. And you teach the commandments of men as, men as if they were doctrines. All right. So it's the same thing. It, this is what this sort of points out. It, God put seal skins on the very ark. And who had to carry the seal skins when they moved the tabernacle? Yes, the, cleaner, the cleanest ones of the bunch, right? <laughs> the holiest ones of the bunch had to carry the, the, the skins of dead carcasses that had been cured, right? But they have to touch them. That's my point. All right. Make boards for the Mishkan of acacia wood, 10 cubits. Tenons, if you're not a woodworker, uh, a tenon is a is a piece of wood that sticks out and goes into an indention in a piece of wood to join them together. It's like, almost like tongue and groove. It's kind of similar to tongue and groove. Dovetail. Yeah, dovetail, yeah. Uh, 20 boards for the south and 20 board, 40 sockets of silver under the boards. So you're making a, a silver bottom piece to hold the board up. So the boards aren't just swaying in the wind. They have something to hold them to the ground. All right. And what we're talking about here, where boards are, we're talking about two different parts of the Mishkan. What are the boards for? Who remembers? Or the ark itself. No. No? The boards? Period, wasn't it? Huh? Period. I didn't understand that word. To carry. No, not to carry. The board. <clears throat> is it for the to hold up the coverings, the drapes on the outside of it? No. Okay. I'm gonna see if I can find a picture right quick. The Temple Institute has some good ones. Let's look at this one first, because that's what we just read about. And this one I think is pretty good. So <clears throat> here are the gold stanchions. And here are the boards. This is for the inner sanctuary. And here's this the covers that we just read about. Mm. <clears throat> Right? Mm -hmm. The top one being seal skin. 
to cover it. This place was utterly dark. You know how when you have a tent, some of the light seeps through the cracks? That seal skin is making this the darkest place on earth. <laughs> All right. So that's why that menorah is so important. I personally believe the menorah didn't, didn't stand this way. It stood perpendicular to the person coming in. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Turn it 90 degrees. And that's how I believe it stood. Okay. I could be wrong. I just believe that because it's supposed to give light in front of the parochit. Where is the parochit? In front of the instant. thing. All right. So I'm going to look for another picture, see if there's a better one. Uh, you can see how many different opinions there are on this thing just by looking at this. Mm -hmm. They did it the same way. The, the parochit is a little bit better in color, I think. Um, but the boards are for here. What we just read about is this wall. Oh. Hmm. See the silver sockets at the bottom? It does. Do you see that? Yeah. Don't everybody yell at once. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's a little black, it's a little black thing. I'm going to try to see if I can get a closer up view of it. Different artists paint it different ways. That's the hard part about it. So the boards are just like the, uh, the perimeter fencing. Yes. Which is, which is the Mishkan. All right. All of this together is the Mishkan. All of it together is uh, tabernacle. Mm -hmm. All right. The dwelling place. Mishkan is a dwelling place. But this one is the holy place, and inside of it is the holy of holies where they've got that smoke. Mm -hmm. All right. This, look at this. This is what I believe it probably looked more like. Remember I told you they like to paint it in a tornado effect? Mm -hmm. I don't believe it was a tornado. I think it probably looked more something more like this. And I think that surrounded all of Israel, to be honest. Oh, go to that, go to the one of was it Secrets of the Mishkan up at the top? Can you it's see? Kinda... I was looking for those little sockets. Can you see the sockets on there? Yeah. Kind of, kind of, sort of. This, I think, is one. This may be the one that they built. They built one out there in Shiloh in Israel or somewhere in the desert in Israel. And this might be that one. Okay. So this is a modern interpretation of it. This is the brass sea. Mm -hmm. And this is the altar. And of course, this is the tabernacle. All right. <clears throat> so anyway, that's what we're looking at. Okay. So question, that word south, I'm sorry. Yeah. Does it? What is the word they use? For, because I read somewhere with, when it's talked about the directions, even though we say north and south and things like that, they use the Mediterranean Sea or or toward this way. They, they don't use the word the, the actual directions, but something in that direction. Right. Um, yeah. So negative 
can mean south, and that's actually the southern desert of Israel. Gotcha. East is Mikedim, which means from the old place, from antiquity. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it means east, all right? Mm -hmm. um, Tzaphon is what we call north, but that is the place of the stored treasure, all right? Because Mount Hermon is up in the north and it brings the water to Israel. Mm. All right. And then uh, west, I, I'm, I'm struggling to remember west right now, but we'll probably run across it. Okay. But yeah, you're right. Those words are in reference to something versus just having a word for the direction. Yeah. And I think there is that uh, there are other words that also mean those directions. But many times in the scriptures, you're, you're using the reference and not necessarily the direction. Does it have to do something with the Mediterranean, like the sea or something like that? Uh, it yes. could. It, that may be what it is. Yeah. Um, I'm just drawing a blank right now. Mm -hmm. All right. You shall make a parochet of blue, purple, and scarlet and fine twine linen. Does anybody remember what I talked about when we did this a couple of months mm -hmm. ago for the drosh, what the parochet yeah. Verse. What is it, Tracy? Um, uh, when you refer to it as as Yeshua. Yeah, in particular. I I just remember that part. Well, look at the colors: blue, purple, and scarlet, and mm -hmm. fine twine linen. So I did examine the colors. Of course, mm -hmm. the blue. We're in verse thirty-one here. That's the blue. In this mm -hmm. case, sky blue. Mm -hmm. He's our high priest. The veil right. has the color of the high priest in it. Right. He's our Argaman high. is purple. Argaman. And that's the color of royalty. Um, ancient Israel, before the Israelites got there, was known as the land of purple because it was the only place in the world where, there, where they could make a purple dye, and so it became the color of royalty in antiquity. All right? Here's Tola'at Shani. Everybody knows what that is, right? Mm -hmm. Tola'at Shani. The scarlet mm -hmm. of the Tola'at worm. And Yeshua hung on the tree and said, Ani Tola'at velo ish. I am a worm and no man. I'm not a man. All right? And then shesh mashazar, fine white linen, finely twined linen. And of course, that's righteousness of the saints, right? Mm -hmm. so he's wearing what the other priests wear as well. So all of it is all rolled up in Yeshua. Mm -hmm. But what verse are we talking about when we're talking about parochet that Shaul told us about? Mm -hmm. Anybody remember? Lot of blank, yeah, and I and I love that Josh. That was good. That was real good. We're going over to Hebrews. Hopefully, it's in nine. That's what I've got in my mind. Yeah, 
All right. Then truly the first ministry, not the first covenant, the first ministry that's established in chapter eight had also ordinances of divine service and an earthly beta kodesh. What is that? Uh, set, set apart, apart house. house. Set apart holy house. Set apart house. The first mishkan, which was made, had in it the menorah, the shulchan, which is the table, with the lechem hapanim, the bread of the presence on it, and it was called Beit Kodesh, the holy house. But the inner Mishkan, which is within the next parochet, was called Kodesh HaKadashim. And there was in it the golden censer, the Aron Habrit, that is the box of the covenant, the Ark of the Covenant, all overlaid with gold, gold pot containing manna, Aaron's rod which budded, the tablets of the covenant, and over it the keravim of glory, mm -hmm. overshadowing the kaporet, which is the atonement seat. Now the Kohanim always entered into the outer Mishkan and performed their service of worship, but into the inner Mishkan, the Kohen Hagadol entered alone once for himself and for the people. And that may not, I may be in the wrong chapter. I'm looking for the place it says his body. His body. What? His body what? The veil is his body. Might be in chapter eight. Maybe in chapter seven. <laughs> Man, I just knew I nailed it tonight. Apparently I didn't. Maybe 10. Must be. 10 verse 20. I was closer than I thought. Just went the wrong direction. <clears throat> Having therefore confidence to enter into the Beta Kodesh that's the one upstairs. If you read the context, he's talking about heaven. Having therefore, my brethren, confidence to enter into the holy house by the blood of Yeshua. By a new and living way, which he has made for us through the parochet. That is to say, his body. Hallelujah. All right. Oddly enough, I, I, did, I wasn't anticipating this this morning. But for the last two days, you know, I'm a blogger. I don't have as much time to blog now because I'm back at work. But um, my next blog will be about the body of Messiah. Trying to communicate that again. Remember what I told y'all that God has invigorated that message to try to communicate that to people. We are one body and we should start acting like it. Okay. And this veil was fantastic i mean if we go back and look <clears throat> i thought i could get back to it from here 
Let me find one a little more detailed or That's not what I wanted. I wish they showed the whole thing. That's, that's yeah. I probably should try to get in here and find these things, but I just short on time these days. Uh, this is a good one to look at. It's not. I don't think the differential between him and the height of the curtain is good enough. All right, mm -hmm. because that's showing the tearing of the veil. Here's one. Let's look at this one. It's kind of small. Look how high up it goes. Keeps going up there. Mm -hmm. Man, I wish I could find a really good one. This will work. Yeah, I know you kind of get an idea, right? Yeah. This thing was huge, and the thickness of it is off the charts. We don't understand how thick that thing was, and I believe it was even more resplendent than those little cartoons that we found to look at. That's my point. And it didn't have all of the colors in it that we see. That one of the one of the the cutaway of the tabernacle that we did was probably the better one. Um. So anyway. That veil represents Yeshua's flesh. Mm -hmm. All right. Basar is both body and flesh. Besaro. It represents his goof. I've taught you guys before about the goof, right? Right. The resurrected body and the, the entity of his body worldwide. That's what goof is. Um, the ancient Jews believed that. They believed that Adam was the goof. And of course, Shaul Paul teaches us that in Adam, every man dies, but in Yeshua, every man lives, right? Yes. So Yeshua is actually the goof. That's G-U-F if you're trying to spell it. Um, it, is an, it. It was an ancient idea that all men are part of one Adam. So when Shaul Paul wrote that, he wasn't making up something new. He was, he was conveying biblical thought that already existed and showing that it had been fulfilled in Yeshua. And this parochet is a symbol of that because in order to pass through into the Holy of Holies to get atonement, you have to go through that thing. It's the last thing you have to do and you have to be prepared to walk through it. You can't walk through it dirty you have to have bathed five times in an immersion pool you have to be meticulously clothed in the proper clothing and this is what i'm talking about it's it's a concept i've tried to teach and i try to enforce on myself and that is i don't just sashay into the courtroom of god willy-nilly all right and when do we do that when do we go to God in, into that room spiritually? When do we do that? Mm -hmm. after, after our prayer. Praise and worship. Will we go to the old, um, to old, the Ola, Ola? The worship. 
All right. We pray. All of you are headed in the right direction, but can can we all go into that room at once? Yes. I say yes. No, only the high priest could have gone in. Huh? If only the good. high priest could have gone in. And only the high up. priest can go into there. Into there. Right. So only Yeshua has gone into there. We go in with Yeshua as individuals when we ask for forgiveness. We go in there for atonement. Mm. All right. When we're worshiping, we're in that outer court of Abraham, or we're in this sanctuary right here. We're in this Mishkan that's behind my head in this image. Do y'all see that? No. No, we, we see the, the, the word, the text. Yeah. Look at, you don't see the videos bouncing around? No. no. Well, all you guys, I'm talking to you. See my picture? No. Yeah. We see your oh, picture. Your picture. But not on the screen. Uh, this one. <laughs> you mean to look behind you? Look behind me. Okay. <laughs> I understand. Jim, stop talking. <laughs> the priests who are uh, so the 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 Olah might would be representing going the Ole or the Olah might be representing going into there to give bread to pull bread off of the the Shulchan the Lechem Hapanim off of the table. Are you with me? Yeah. Okay. Now, I'm not trying to pin all of these down and say this represents it. I'm saying all of this is very symbolic of our worship today. All right. Mm -hmm. But going into the Holy of Holies to get forgiveness from God, I believe is what we do in our private prayer life. All right. That we, that's <laughs> why we wrote the Siddur the way we did is because to try to prepare you to go into that place by the time you get to the point where you're asking God for forgiveness in those about the fourth or fifth prayer for about five or six prayers, you're asking him for forgiveness in several of those prayers. Hopefully you're prepared by the words and the ideas that are conveyed before you get in there that you're reverent, you know, you're going before a king. And this is what I don't like about, you know, churches creating a caricature of Jesus and creating these little frivolous relationships that people have with him at times. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, we, can, we can be leisurely about Yeshua in our daily lives, right? We can hang out with him like a buddy, right? I believe that. But when we're seeking atonement, we should be more reverent. When we're coming to him in the sanctuary, we should be reverent, not stoic and not stiff and stuffy and arrogant and cold. Not that. That's not what I'm saying. Joyful, but at the same time, reverent. Is that possible? Yes. What are you trying to say, Joe? <laughs> I thought that was your dog barking. It was <laughs> no, my dog. Sorry. <laughs> I was just making a joke. I'm not offended by it. <laughs> I love dogs. Um, I was hoping I was catching Joe <laughs> so I could pick at him. <laughs> you guys get what I'm trying to say, though? 
Yeah, 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 yeah. But I, 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 I'm appreciative of how you took us, like, like she said, Shabbat, and when, when I, we're praying and our worship and the Ola Ole taking the bread. But all that we're doing congregationally on the Shabbat is preparing us for someone to pray. Yes. So in that sense, yes, we're driving toward that, mm -hmm. right? And we're driving toward that parochet. All right, but only you can go through individually to get your atonement. You know, we can pray congregationally because what, what happens after the high priest goes in behind the parochet on Yom Kippur? What happens next? He sprinkles the blood. And then what? And he makes atonement for Israel. Well, that's what sprinkling the blood does. What does he do next? Does he use incense? No. He's done that beforehand. Okay. He comes back out. That's what I was going to say. He leaves. <laughs> <laughs> he comes back out and and. Right. Huh? He has to change his clothing before he comes out, doesn't he? He can't change back there. No, but he can't come out with those same clothes, does he? He comes out from behind the veil and goes out and addresses Israel and gives them their atonement. And then he changes clothes. He can't show God all his goodness. He can't, he can't, <laughs> he can't change clothes behind the veil. No. Uh, and he can't change in the room that I'm sitting in figuratively or virtually. He has to leave there before he changes clothes. So he comes out and he addresses Israel and offers, you know, secures their atonement with the final rites outside the, the Mishkan. And then he changes clothes. All right, We're, we'll get to that when we get to Leviticus. Questions about the sanctuary. We're not, we're not going near as deep as we could, obviously. Right. But the main thing that I wanted you to see is the structure of it. We talked about the menorah last week. We talked about some of the other artifacts inside the temple last week, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm going to move on. Mizbeach of acacia wood, five cubits long, five cubits broad, four square. That means it's got to be a square, three cubits high. So that's about nine feet, give or take. That's the altar. This is the one outside. Yeah. The horns of it upon the four corners thereof, one piece of it overlaid with brass. Pots to take away ashes, shovels, basins, all the tools you need, vessels you need. These guys. A grating of network of brass and put the, on the net four brazen or brass rings on the four corners of thereof. Put it under the ledge round about the Mizbeach. So this is so they could carry it. Mm -hmm. All right. Because this was a mobile sanctuary. Mm -hmm. In Solomon's, they didn't have that because it wasn't mobile. It was fixed. Staves to carry it, bearing it, carrying it. Sorry about that. Bearing it. The court of the Mishkan, south, southward, fine twine linen. So that's white for one side, 
it's basically the same description as the inner sanctuary that we just looked at for that outer wall. The sockets out there are brass. So I pointed at the wrong thing a while ago. I thought we were already here, that, that we were talking about the outer wall of the inner sanctuary a while ago. Right, the other one was the little borders. You said boards. Yeah, well, it had boards too, okay? Any questions about that? So if you want to go back and look at it. All I can say is I can only imagine what it's like to tear that thing down and move it and stand it back up. I know. With each time. <laughs> but it stayed in Shiloh for what, 400 years? Almost 400? Yeah, about that. So here's a good one. So here's, here's the inside walls and the boards that went over it. And that's what I messed up a while ago. Sockets down at the bottom. The table of the showbread. The inner altar of incense. But look how tall that veil is. Mm -hmm. Representing Yeshua's body. Scarlet. This one has all the colors in it. That's what I was looking for a while ago is when it had these colors in it. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then what we looked at. When we were in Israel and we went to the temple, uh, the temple, the museum for the temple, you know, the temple furnishings, the, the furnishings looked very big. And when yeah. you look at it, the scale of it in that picture, they looked tiny. But when we saw them, they looked very big. So the, the, um, the surroundings had to be enormous, it seems. They were to, enormous. To dwarf the table of the showbread that we saw, was, which right. was huge. large. Well, what you have to recognize is that all the men of Israel had to get within this when it was time to worship. The, the women and children stood around or stayed in their tent. But you had to get all the worship-aged men Millions. Yeah, I was going to say that does no, no, no justice for inside that. that, or at least as many of them as you possibly could. So yeah, it's significantly huge. Mm -hmm. All right, but this is good to show you the outer walls that we're just reading about. Linen with mm. a, a veil there that's in the same colors. That's what we just read about. You see that? Yeah. So this one is pretty good, and then we read about these walls in here and the seal skin covering it. That's mm -hmm. what we just looked at, okay? All of this. So I said the parochid is, a, is symbolic of the body of Messiah, but guess what? So is the whole thing. Right. Everything in here represents Yeshua and his ministry in some way, form, or fashion, including just this very courtyard. What does that represent? Mm -hmm. The, uh, the assembly of believers. The yeah, the body of Messiah worldwide, the, those who worship him, those who come to him in truth. That's what this represents, because this is where you begin to worship. This is where you 
say the things to God that he told us to say to him when we worship him. You know, people that don't like repetitious prayers because of what Yeshua said, I believe are missing out on a big part of the worship of God. Because God told the Israelites to say certain things when they were in here. And then he inspired David to write the book of Psalms. Yes. And most of the prayers that we say in a, in a, in the form of, of ritual come out of the Psalms. And a few of them come out of the prophets, which were prayers written by the prophets. All right. And so <clears throat> that's the reason that I try to encourage people to pray three times a day, just like they did. There's that dog. <laughs> a cat. Yeah, it was barking at us, Jessica. No. That was a cat. That was a cat. I got a little zoo here. <laughs> Just a little one. Um, so, yeah, I, I personally believe that, you know, and, and maybe this is just me, maybe I'm drunk on coffee or something, but, you know, back in 2007, when God showed me that, for lack of a better word, vision, dream, experience, whatever I had, when he showed me the area that we live in and, and lights coming on, look at the tents lit up. You see that? Yeah, it's beautiful. All right. I believe he's added to that vision, if you will. And I hate to say it that way because it sounds trite. It's been so beat down by religious people. But you, son of man, show the house of Israel the house of God. Mm -hmm. All right. That is the body of Messiah. Mm. All right. So that's that's what I'm trying to convey is this. All of this is a picture of the worldwide body of Messiah and various tents, various camps that have various images around them. What are the images around the four camps? Oh, the uh, eagle, the eagle, the lion, the bull, I mean, the uh, lion. Yes. And the calf, right, the bull. Calf. Eagle, man, lion, and calf. So, yeah. And those are the same images that you see in the book of Revelation, which shows me that that's the, the camp of Israel, the body of Messiah, standing in front of the throne in Revelation 4 and 5. Yes. I have no doubt about that in my mind. I'm, I'm utterly convinced of that. And I've had people try to change my mind about it. And every time they show me anything, it's always man-made logic that tries to detract from God telling us that, you know, we're going to assemble around his throne one day. And that's what we're looking at. You know, mm -hmm. that's what we're looking at here. Amen. Amen. And so, yes, there was a flag way out here that had a banner on it that had an eagle on it. That's the camp of Dan in this direction. Uh, wait a minute. Let me, let me check that. Um, Nope, in this direction. We're, we're standing on the north side. From this vantage point, this is the north. So Judah was in front, right? Judah is in the east in on the this east. side. This side, right. Which is kind of counterintuitive because it's on our left, but we're on the north, right? Mm, okay. Over on this side is Reuben. Mm -hmm. so, so we have the eagle down here. We have the lion over here. We have the, the man over here, and we have or the calf over here and the man over here. 
right? Those are the four banners of the camps of Israel that are written down in antiquity. And then John takes them and puts them in the revelation. God does, puts them in the revelation to say, Israel is going to stand around my throne when the shofar blasts. It's plain as day to me. And that's the body of Messiah. Mm -hmm. And who is that? Who is the body of Messiah? Us. <laughs> it's the goof. Yeah. It's goof. It's people who believe and trust in the gospel, the real gospel, the true gospel. Mm -hmm. that Yeshua is Yahweh manifested in flesh, right? Right. But he is still in his flesh. He's not a ghost. He's not a spirit. He's not God by himself. He's standing beside his father. Mm -hmm. He's a manifestation of his father. That's the gospel. Mm -hmm. And I personally believe you have to believe that in order to be there. Yeah. Right? I don't believe that everybody that just goes around saying Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is part of the body. I think a lot of them are fooling themselves or being fooled. And that's a sad thing. All right. And I, I might sound like a crazy fool trying to overturn 2000 or 1700 years of belief. <laughs> but others have, have done it before me and they were killed for it. You know, who knows? Might happen to me. I don't know. But that's what I believe we're dealing with. That's what the, the tabernacle to me represents. More than anything now, it represents his body. Amen. All right. And each station in it represents a ministry of his body. So think about that. Think of the stations. I can pull the image back up if you want. Yeah. Yeah. And we might need this one. We might need one of the others. Let's look at one of the whole. See if we can find a better one. All right, let's start here. What do these stations represent? Uh, menorah. What does the menorah represent? Ruach HaKodesh. Ruach HaKodesh. Mm -hmm. Ruach HaKodesh. Yes. Light. So it represents the fear of Yahweh, right? Okay. It represents wisdom. It represents understanding. Mm -hmm. It represents counsel, which is prophecy and, and uh, good direction from God. It represents the knowledge of God. Uh -huh. It represents the power, Gvora, of God. And it mm -hmm. represents Yahweh himself, Right. Mm -hmm. that's what that menorah is for and every congregation has to have all seven of those lamps and many of them don't some of them only want the power some of them only want the wisdom some of them only want this they they focus on one thing and they shandai ronda and try to get everybody to do shandai ronda and all they're focusing on is one little tiny flicker of light off of a candle instead of focusing on the whole ministry of yeshua what does this one represent here in the middle I don't know if prayers. you, huh? Prayers. Prayers. That's the incense. That means that we as a body must be ministering daily. That's why I encourage daily prayers from everybody, three times a day at least. And I'm talking apart from 
your daily communication to Yeshua as a buddy. He's, he is that, right? Yes. And I do that. Mm-hmm. But I'm talking about significant, intense, focused, individual prayer. That's what's going on right here. Who goes in and, and tends that? Is it a crowd of people? No, just a priest. Which one? And for the the incense? Yep. Bauhin Hakadol? Nope. Nope. No, this the uh the sons of Aaron. Yep. The descendants of Aaron. They're chosen by lot. Mm. But the the incense is, is lit at a certain time of day. All right. And remember Zechariah, John the Baptist's father. Right. was chosen that day by lot to go in and burn incense. And he went in there and he said a few prayers, but he had to linger longer because of a, a messenger visited him, right? Right. The point being is that someone had to be in front of that altar at a certain time of day, right? Mm-hmm. All right, what about this one? Shulchan, uh, bread of presence. Shulchan lechem hapanim. The table of the bread of the presence. What's on it? Bread. Twelve. Twelve huge loaves of bread. To feed those priests for a week. That to me is symbolic of the drosh that I try to give every week. And the prayers that you guys hopefully pray for me to support me so that I give something from God and not something from Daniel. Right? Bread enough to last you for a week. But not only that, you guys, when is that bread eaten? Daily. Every day, multiple times a day by the priests. So it's not that what I'm giving you, I'm I'm not saying I'm a replacement for Yeshua God. I hope nobody thinks that. Mm -mm. But just just, I'm the one baking the bread and giving it to you to go get and chew on. Amen. Right? Yeah, let's call it that, because all, all I am is a servant, and hopefully you're you're getting it and you're chewing on it and you're being nourished by it. All right, so let's move outside. Here's a good one. Uh, let's look at this one. Uh, this might be a good one. All right, yeah. What's this? The brass Great ladder. The lava. The brass ladder, which is a the sea, represented by the crystal sea that you see below the feet of God in in Revelation. All right. What do they use that for? Wash. Washing. Washing of the priests themselves, washing their hands before they touch another animal, washing their hands before they go back and interact with a human being, um, washing their feet before they go into this chamber. All right. What is all that symbolic of in the body of Messiah? Immersion. Could be. But do we immerse every day? No. No. So what do you think 
within the body of Messiah is that? Uh, asking for forgiveness, repentance. Uh, I think that's involved with it, but I think it's more of a conscious decision to do right and to to tend to it if we are stained by the world in any way. Mm. All right. And we're going to be. Mm -hmm. We're going to be. People that think they walk around all holy and never mess up aggravate the tar out of me. Because I don't think they understand what, they're, what they think they're walking in. They're walking in arrogance and pride, if you ask me, which stains them worse than anything, if you ask me. Yeah. All right. So, so he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who shall ascend the hill of Yahweh? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Cleanliness in the outward sense is symbolic of cleanliness of thought and of action. <laughs> and one thing that I'm learning is people have some wicked thoughts about other people. I don't get it. I don't, I don't, I don't understand spending time in your head thinking negativity about everybody around you. I just don't understand that. It, it doesn't process with me. And I, you know, I told a guy this week, I've told Melanie about him before, a guy that I work with, a young fellow. I really admire him. He's just joyful. And he walked by me one day uh, this week and, and uh, he said hello to me. And I said, you know, you're a delightful person. And, and it, it was like I offended him when I said it. I was like, what? I was in there trying to be good to this guy. And it was like he got offended. And I could, you know how you feel tension after an interaction with a person that didn't go right? Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. Tiny bit of it there, just because I said, you're a delightful person. I, I just don't get it. I don't get it. Once that root of bitterness gets in there, it, it takes over everything. It spreads like wildfire. Mm -hmm. It sure does. And uh, I, I, I can't comprehend that kind of thought process. I just, it, it's foreign to me, you know, to be offended by a good thing. <laughs> I, was I, trying know. To, I was just joyful that he walked by and said, hi, and I, yeah, you're a delightful person, you know? Um, Might have so, been a shot because of nobody, what? he might've been a shot because nobody, uh, really goes around complimenting anybody no more they just no they don't yeah you're absolutely right and that that's that's kind of what i'm talking about is the the overdose of negativity in people these days melanie's mentioned it before about going in the grocery store and just feeling like she's being shot at with darts because people are just so evil you know and and so those are the things it touches us you know and that's part of what I think we have to cleanse ourselves of as well. So we don't get bitter. So we don't get all yes. about yeah. people. And that's a thing we have to do. How, how often did they have to wash if they were ministering in the temple for the day? Over and over yeah. and mm -hmm. over again. Right? And right. so what I try to do is by noon, I go in and I read. I'm, I'm reading through the Psalms, a chapter a day at noontime, you know, to try to keep that state of mind of purity toward people. You know, I used to be, I sat at a cubicle all day and I didn't have to worry about it. <laughs> now I'm around 700 people a day. <laughs> and so I'm having to process that more and think about that more. Okay, so the, this altar right here, what's on it? 
of the burnt offerings. Burning fire all day long, offerings, meals being cooked. Meals too, yeah, yeah. Communion. Mm -hmm. Communion with God. And what was the picture when someone brought their offering, one of these lambs or bulls or goats, brought an offering in, put their hand on it. Mm. What were they doing? Transferring their sin to that animal. Transferring their sin onto that animal. And then what do they do? Slit its neck. Slit its neck, drain its blood, quarter it, cook it, and then what? Eat it. Dash it on the well. What? Yeah. Well, they some did. of them were burned and some of them were eaten. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to get into those details. That's for oh, okay. All I'm saying is, yes, some of the blood was dashed here and there, but what I'm primarily driving at is eaten. Eaten by whom? The priest. Only the priest? And the one no, who brought the family. Offering. No. Oh, the person too? The one who brought it. Oh. A part of it, and certain specific parts were for the priest. Okay. It was a form of communion. Oh. It was a shared meal in the holy, in the presence of God. Is that like the tables laid before you? Yeah, absolutely. You prepare a table for, before me in the presence of my enemies. That's exactly what it's talking about. Man, all oh. this, <clears throat> all the sacrifices they had to do. I bet those priests had to be fat. <laughs> they, no, because when, because they took turns. So, yeah, not every priest was in there all the time. It was a keto diet, Joe. <laughs> It was, it was a bit of a keto diet. Oh, keto diet. Carnivorous <laughs> diet. Carnivore diet. It's Albert. Oh, oh my bad. Carnivore. It just seems like, man, that's a lot of eating because, you know, we we sometimes don't think about how many sacrifices were done on a daily basis there. That like, my Right, God. but you had multiple. Remember treats. how many, yeah, how many of the tribe, because Judah was, well, not just Judah, but Levi. They, they they weren't a huge tribe, but they had multiple, multiple, multiple men. You know, they had a bunch of men, you know. Well, there were lots of Levites, and so they would take turns mm -hmm. bringing the offerings of those who came in. And I don't know what system they had in order to make sure that everybody ate, but everybody had to eat. And their family. It, was, it was probably, they certainly weren't starving. Point taken, Joe, no, they were not starving. They had plenty to eat but so did the supplicants who brought them. And the mm -hmm. supplicant would come in and take his part and go out and meet his family and eat the rest of it with his family. He had to eat part of it there. He'd take the rest out. His family would eat it. The priest took it aside and ate with their family. Right. And that's the point that people miss. People miss the, the, the deeper mechanics and logistics of what's going on. It is an act of mercy. You know, this is communion for all of Israel. They're all eating together. Yeah, everyone thinks they're just killing animals. Just everybody, yeah, activity. everybody just thinks they're being cruel to animals and burning animals and shedding blood, and they don't realize it's feeding Israel as well. Mm -hmm. It's feeding the priest. It's feeding everybody. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And that's a beautiful thing. That's why eating is... Do you realize eating is a big part of your faith? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, seven of them. 
<laughs> well, the well, first sin entered the world through eating. Eating. Mm-hmm. Yeshua secured the Brit Hadashah by eating a meal. Eating a lamb, sharing a lamb with his 12 disciples and some others. They shared a meal to, to institute the renewed covenant. Shaul says in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you ought to wait and eat everybody together. So let's go there. Let us go together. <laughs> So I probably have a dumb question, but I guess in my mind, I, I don't know if somebody told me this or I just thought that, that only the Levite men were allowed to even go within the fence. No, that's, no, that's not true. Okay. Huh. Yeah. No, that is called the court of Abraham, the bosom of Abraham, um, the court of Israel. So all of the men went in there. They brought their sacrifices in up to the priest. And I'll get back to that when we get back to the picture. Um, but yeah, all the men of Israel went in there. And in scripture, I think uh, it talks about how they had to come in, bring their sacrifice to the altar, cut the throat themselves. That's right. Okay. Yeah. And, and we'll, I'll show you that route, that very path when we get back to the picture. But I want to do this first. Okay. Imitate me as I imitate Messiah. This is Paul talking. Imitate me, Paul, as I imitate Messiah. And Yeshua never once broke the Torah, right? Right. I praise you that you remember me in all things and keep the customs mm -hmm. as I delivered them to you. Jewish customs that he gave to the Gentiles in Corinth. Keep them. He certainly didn't give them Easter and Christmas. They didn't exist yet. Nope. Right? Nope. I would have you know that the head of every man is Messiah and the wife. I'm, I'm in 11, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to skip down to verse 17. Now I enjoin you in these things not to praise you, for I've, you have not made progress, but have become worse. Shaul was looking for progress in the congregation, and they had gotten worse. Mm -hmm. When you gather in the congregation, gather is an operative word there. I yeah. hear that there are divisions among you, and I partly believe it. Controversies are bound to be among you that those who are chosen may be made known among you. You guys, we just walked through that, did we not, two years yeah. ago? Yeah. When you gather together, therefore, you do not eat and drink as is appropriate on the day of Adonai. But some men eat their supper before others, and so it happens that one is hungry and another is drunk. Why? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? What he's saying is eat in unity. Eat this meal in unity. That's why I, if, if we were studying, when we get to Corinthians, if we were studying Corinthians, what you're going to find out is Corinthians is all about Passover. And this meal is referring back to something he wrote in chapter five. It's about Passover. All right. And we know, we understand, those on this call understand that we're keeping a mini Passover every era of Shabbat, right? Yes. Right. All right. So this meal is what Christians call communion, but they have reduced it to a thimble and a wafer. Most of them. 
All right. So they're not having a meal and they're and they're doing it together. At least they got that part right. But they're not doing what Shaul is saying here. All right. Do you not respect the assembly of Elohim and want and want to shame those who have nothing? So some people don't have a lot to cook at home. They can't go out to eat afterward. So when you get together for the meal, everybody should wait and eat together. That's the picture that I'm seeing over here. They're all eating together. Dad goes in with the animal, walks up to a priest. Jessica, are you following my cursor? Mm -hmm. Yeah. He walks up to this side of the altar and meets the priest that's standing there. Just dad. All right. He tells him what his sin is or what kind of offering he's making, whether it be a, 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 a peace offering, a, a meal mm -hmm. offering, a burnt offering, whatever. He, it's his choice most of the time to make that choice. The priest then tells him what to do. He cuts the, the neck of the animal. At first, he puts the, his hand, if it's, a, if it's anything for a transgression or a sin, he puts his hand on the animal, says a very specific prayer that is given in the book of Deuteronomy and, and Exodus and Leviticus, very specific prayer, prays that prayer. He himself cuts the animal's neck right there beside the altar, right about here. All right. He and the priest dress that animal to be cooked on the altar. They put it on the altar and it cooks. Probably do two or three or however many lamb or goat or whatever would fit up there. So they're moving the process along, right? Mm -hmm. So then he gives the priest his portion. And you're going to see that when we get into Leviticus and, and uh, you might see it a little bit later in Exodus. I can't remember. And uh, But he gives the priest his portion. The priest goes and finds his family takes his family aside, goes out to his tent right around the tabernacle. These are Levites all around the tabernacle. Remember that? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. All right. And then the guy that offered the offering takes his and goes out and finds his tent wherever it is and eats with his family. Mm -hmm. So yeah, Israel goes in within this veil, within this wall right here. Only the priests go in this section, the holy place, and only the high priest goes into this section. All right. Daniel, is it only men that can go into the into that whole area though? Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now if, if you look at my desktop. Does everybody see my desktop now? Mm -hmm. Yes. The men can go in here. Outside of this door over on the right is another court that the women of Israel can go into. <clears throat> All right. And what you're seeing in the back goes all the way around the women's court and goes all the way around the side that we're sitting on and goes all the way around over here. That's the court of the nations. Gentiles can get in this court and hear the worship, hear the singing, smell the aroma, but they can't go in here. The women can come into this gate. This door right here is facing east. Do you see the sun shining on the disc? Yes. I've told y'all before that started the prayers. All right. The women are outside this door over here and the Gentiles are outside another door way out here and all the way around. Okay. Are those here. people on top of the wall right there? Or that's no, on the other side of the wall? That's No, that's on the wall. Most of the time, it's women up there. 
Hmm. See how big it is? Shelly was talking about how big the altar was. Mm -hmm. Look how big this one is. Mm -hmm. Look how it, it is compared to the, the people. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, look at the little people right there. And, and I know this is not the, the parasol that we were talking about, but but even so, look at that interest in how how little they are. Yeah, on the stage, yeah. Yeah, the parochet, look how tall that parochet is. And the one inside is bigger. That is even bigger, right. Is that representative of how big uh, Solomon's temple was? Or is it looking forward? This is Solomon's temple. Okay. So let's go here on the side. If you look on the side, I'm, I, look, I'm moving my cursor like y'all can see me. But on the side... <laughs> little windows are on the side of the uh, holy place like see the top of that imagine that veil being yeah, that veil is this high top of that right that's that's a good picture of how tall that thing was compared to man that thing could not be torn by a man because I, if i remember right it was like four inches thick the veil the parochia mm -hmm. inside back in the back over here yeah, mistake. Is however tall this is, which is ridiculous, and about four inches thick, the material. So, yeah, that's an amazing piece of fabric. I would love to have laid eyes on it. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine just being there? Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and <clears throat> this is where we're going. This is symbolic. That's why I like this particular one. This is a guy that I have on Facebook. I stole it from him. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, Levin is his last name. You'll find him on my Facebook page. I've, I've talked to him before. He sent me messages before. He's a neat guy. He's not messianic, I don't think. But he hasn't unfriended me and gotten offended such that he was, you know, hopefully take his stuff down or anything. <laughs> I'm but, wondering uh, if he could give us like a... a better view of this and a bird's eye view of he might have something i'll have to go check his website and see if he has anything else the temple institute has some good artistic renderings of of most of it i just haven't had time to get on there i used to have them all but that was two computers ago oh i know what that is it, um, it's a, is that the uh uh abraham's bosom you were gonna tell us where that was in the yeah, that's Abraham's bosom. That's what you're looking at right here. Okay. Where the altar is. This is the heart. Mm -hmm. You remember I told you it looks like a man uh, looking down from heaven? This is the heart. That's where we read from, right? Yes. That This is represented by our Bema, where I put the, the scriptures every day, and we stand and read from. Yes, those are our offerings, our sacrifices. Yes. The ark in our sanctuary represents the Holy of Holies back here where we draw the Torah out of. Mm -hmm. All right. So, yeah, all of this is, is for the ministry of Yeshua. Well, said, looking from the top, it looks like a man. Do we have a uh, like a above ground view of that somewhere? Um, yeah, I was looking at too. He looked like a man. Yes. <laughs> I think I might have one. I have some temple stuff in here. Let me see if there's one like that in here. 
You can kind of tell it right here, but maybe not. Mm. Getting closer there, that's the court of the women. Everybody see that court right there? Uh -huh. On the house. Disregard the Dome of the Rock. That's not going to be there. It's going to be torn down. This is the court of the, of the women right here. And the Dome of the Rock is sitting in what's called the court of the Gentiles, the nations. Okay. Oh, okay. You know, it's... It... <laughs> I hate I hate that they have them so many different sizes and everything and not depicting it as cool. Here we go. I knew I had one. That's good. But but imagine it ten times, twenty hundred times bigger, right? You see his heart, his torso, the head, the arms, raise it up oh. to praise God, the legs. You see ah. that? Oh, for crying out loud. Isn't that amazing? It's a man. He looked like a man. Yeah. In the heart, in the heart I'm telling the you, this thing represents the body of Messiah. Wow. Wow. Hallelujah. And the heart is in the is is the altar. In the, the heart is the altar. And this is the women's court all around. Court. The, the men go inside here. The Gentiles are all around here. Oh. See that? Mm -hmm. But you can tell how it looks like a man, right? Yes. And since we're here, these little holes in the in the corners. Yeah. Anybody care, to have, anybody care to hazard a guess what those are? That's where the, the torches go. Is no. are are they oh. for fellowship? No. Okay. Those are mikvot. Oh, yeah, that's what I was looking for. That's where they immerse. Oh, okay. They come in. They go down the wall. They immerse. They go out. All right. This one is a good representation of what you're seeing from above, but there's some things a little bit wrong with it. But I like it for the purpose of seeing that it looks like a human being, right? The arms yes. and legs and the head. Everybody yeah. sees that, right? Oh, yeah. I have never in my life heard or seen that. Is that, that, is that indicative of that height you've been talking about of the parochet at the Holy of Holies? You can mm. really see how tall it is. Well, I don't know if the Holy of Holies goes all the way up, it, you know, and I don't know how accurate this one is. Okay. Okay. Uh, because this one kind of more represent the house this way than I've seen it represented this way. I'll just say it that way. Okay. Yeah, it looks like it got a second floor to it. Yeah. But you didn't have a second but Both floor. of them look, both of them have a crown on the head. Mm -hmm. You see that? Yes. <laughs> you can't get any more Yeshua than this. This is That's the body amazing. of Messiah. Wow. All right. Amazing. Very good. Thanks, Daniel. That's us. All right. Now we're getting into something that I really like. Olive oil for the light. Command them that they bring pure olive oil for the light to cause a lamp to burn continually. What is Ohel Moed? 
Mm. Anybody know? Oh. Tenth of meeting is the common interpretation. Or appointments. Tent of appointment or meeting time, yes. Outside of the parochet, which is before the testimony, Aaron and his son shall set it in order to burn from evening to morning before Yeva. It shall be a statute forever throughout their generations on the behalf of B'nai Yisrael. There is contention in the rabbinic community as to what this looks like. And you've already seen a couple of representations of the temple that show the menorah standing sideways versus parallel with the parochet. They show it standing perpendicular to the parochet. Does everybody understand that? Mm -hmm. No. I'll try to show you when I get there. Okay. That one says scale model. I highly doubt that. Yeah. It always brings up Hanukkah and special lamps for the synagogue versus what oh. I'm really looking for. Um, let me just do this, maybe. I'm just going to bring up this maybe. The Ner Tamid is this one. Mm -hmm. it's, it's this okay. middle branch. So oh, okay. what I was talking about, Betsy, is you see the, the, the image behind me? Yes. And hello, you see that? Yes. That's how the menorah should look. The other two images had it turned on this wall. Oh, okay. Yeah. Perpendicular to the parochet. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that's what it is. I believe it stands in front of it, giving light in front of the parochet. Okay. So they put enough oil in it in the evening for it to burn down, but then the priest has to come back in and make sure that the middle one burns all night. That's what the Ner Tamid is. So it should always be lit. That middle branch is always lit. Okay. So, <coughs> represent, huh? I said represent that's the tree. Yes, the tree. And council. Council, which is prophecy and the, and the council of God's word. Yes, that's what that spirit represents. It always has to burn. That's why, to me, council is the most important thing that you can give a congregation and that is the counsel of God's word it has to be everything has to be founded on his word not mm -hmm. on powers of the spirit healing and 
tongues and, and those things are wonderful. And sometimes I get a little, you know, colorful yeah. when I'm trying to dissuade people from focusing on those. <laughs> they're important, but they're not near as important as the counsel of his word. Amen. All right. So you said mer tell me as like tell me tamadim. No. No. Ta. Always. The lamp always. Okay. The, the, the continual lamp is what tamid. Tamid means always or continual. Gotcha. All right. And so that's that's very important. And it is fed. With, where did my scripture go? I don't know. Like, what happened? There it is. It's fed with olive oil, pure olive oil. And if you went to Israel, Shelly did. Tracy, you, you went on the first trip, didn't you? Hello. Yeah. <laughs> we stood in, in Nazareth and we watched. Uh, we saw a, an olive press right. that made the kind of oil that we're talking about. And so it was a heavy, heavy stone, if I remember right. And then it went to another stone, you know? So basically that olive, the pulp of the olive became virtually nothing. And they took it out and used it for something else. But the olive oil was pressed and pressed and pressed and pure, filtered, you know? It's the best of the best. And uh, I kind of think that that is symbolic of bearing the burden of Messiah. Because what is oil? What does it represent? The spirit. The ruach. Right. But a particular facet of ruach. Anointing. Anointing. It's anointing in order to get to the anointing oil pressing has to happen and i don't think it's a coincidence that when you go to uh gut shimon which most people know as gethsemane gut shimon the garden of oil on the mount of olives one of the first things you see is an olive press and I'm willing to bet it might be on the very spot where Yeshua prayed that night and sweat blood. Mm. That was the night of his hardship, his suffering, wasn't it? Yes. Yes. And that is what made him able to give us that same oil, right? Right. But in order for him to be able to give it away, he had to go through the pressing. Wow. It's the same thing for us. You think it's any different? You think God just automatically zaps people with anointing and they just have they just have this happy-go-lucky life? Abracadabra, you know, oh. going around blessing everybody. The anointing is a burden that is worthy of bearing. Y'all believe that? Yes. That there's so much that occurs around olive oil and olive trees. 
Yep. Anointing oil and the Mount of Olives that, that so lends itself to the fact that he was hung on an olive tree. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, there's no doubt in my mind that Yeshua didn't hang on a, on a cross. He hung on an olive tree. There's no, I have zero doubt in my mind about that. And, you know, I know that, you know, people throw all kinds of so-called evidence that he hung on a cross. I don't believe it. Not after having stood in, 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 in Gat Shemin and seen that olive tree that we saw. You remember, remember that, guys? Yes. Could three men hang on it? Yeah. Like I have a picture of three of us. Let me see a picture of that. Yeah, we got it. I'll show you a picture, uh, Jessica. Yeah, awesome. I find it. You so, can include me on that, Tracy. <laughs> yeah, it, that tree has probably been there for 2,000 years. So there's no doubt in my mind that there was probably several of those size trees standing there. As a matter of fact, our tour guide told us that the root of some of those trees has been there for 4,000 years. Yeah, time of David. And an olive tree comes back. You take, you take it down, the root is still there, it comes back. All right. And that's a picture of Israel being cut down, but coming back. All right. Amen. So y'all could have possibly seen the tree. It's, I mean, uh, it wouldn't surprise me. It would not surprise me because that one we looked at that, that was so big that three men could have hung on it. I wow. don't think it would. They live about 2,000 years. I don't, but the root of it, it could have been the same root of the one that Yeshua hung right. on. Yes. Same root. Wow. Coming out of everywhere, out of the concrete. It was. Yeah, the root, you can see the root crawling all over the ground, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's amazing. And like Shelly said, it, it's oil for the lamp. We're reading about it for the lamp here, which is a Ruach HaKodesh, but it's also anointing oil. It's the same oil that is used to anoint Aaron with. And all of that is symbolic of Yeshua's anointing, which is the presence of the Ruach HaKodesh, the tangible presence of the Ruach HaKodesh. And so, you know, every morning I'm praying that God gives me enough of that to give away. You know, Amen. That's whoever I meet every day, I want to have that available to give away. Amen. I have his love wow. available to give away. That's what I'm praying for. And I, I deal with people all day long now, and I have the opportunity to do that. And I strive to do that, to give that away. And they don't know what I'm doing, you know, but I can tell you this, I'm connecting with people. You know? yeah, yeah. So, um, and it comes at a price, you know, it's like I said, that one guy, you know, and I was, it, it was immediate. I didn't, I haven't been planning that, you know, it was just an immediate response to his kindness toward me that I just, you know, I don't know. I'm so awkward. Sometimes I think I'm just a goober to everybody, but, um, but I, I do, I want to give that away, you know, and, and sometimes it comes at a price, you know, but yeah, the olive oil, the olive tree is critical. And here's another thing that I'm going to close off that olive tree is a picture of a menorah. Mm -hmm. You stand in a, an olive tree and you stand a menorah in front of an olive tree and you see the same image just about. You know, there's no doubt in my mind that that's what God fashioned the menorah after is an olive tree. He just did it in an orderly fashion so it could be totable and movable and give light in the proper perspective. 
thoughts and then the center trunk of the tree and then the the two hands of yeshua and the two hands of each of the men nailed to the tree with him makes the seven laps there you go did y'all catch that no again the trunk of the tree that yeshua his body was hanging on is the center piece of the menorah yes the tree of the menorah the etz the mm. council the spirit of counsel yeshua's arms were extended so that's one two three branches of the menorah then you had two other guys one two three four arms extended seven branches hanging on a tree <laughs> wow it was a menorah it was it was circular in fashion because they were all hanging on it in a circular fashion and jessica you may not be privy to the teaching that these guys have had before they know this the, the gospels tell you that this is how they were hanging there it's just people don't see it because they read they read it with the preconception of all the paintings they've seen and what people have told them. But the way the Gospels read is they were around that tree, all right? And at some point, maybe I have time tonight, I don't know. Um, but at some point, we could do that. But yeah, six arms and Yeshua's body is the menorah. Oh. <laughs> Incredible. Is that incredible or what? Yeah. Yeah. And that's what the Nair Tamid is Yeshua. He's always lit. Our lamps are going to go out. Or yeah. times. But he's always lit. He's resurrected. Right? Yeah. It'll be a statute forever throughout their generations. We got 20 minutes. You want to go into the next chapter or what? Yeah, 20 minutes is a long time. Yes. Bring Aaron, your, bring Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him. They may minister unto me in the Cohen's office. Aaron, Nadav, and Abihu, Elazari, Tamar, Aaron's sons. Make holy garments, Kedoshim garments, for Aaron, your brother, for splendor and beauty. Splendor and beauty. Lichvod uletiferet, tiferet, beauty, kavod, splendor, glory. Tiferet is sometimes translated in, Eng in English as glory as well. You shall speak unto all that are wise hearted that I have filled with the. Is it any wonder that we just talked about the menorah mm -hmm. and oil for it? And then he says, he's going to give the ruach of wisdom so they can make his garments. Is that a coincidence to you? <laughs> I don't, I can't unsee that it's not a coincidence that he gave them the oil for the anointing or for the lamp. And then he suddenly, he's giving men the spirit. <laughs> and people have said, theologians have said that the spirit didn't come until Yeshua. Hmm. You ever heard that? Yeah, yeah. 
Well, they're partly right is the problem. The spirit didn't comfort any and everybody until Yeshua, but the spirit was here. Always. Always. Always from Genesis. Exactly. The first couple of lines. <laughs> yeah. That they make Aaron's garments to hallow him, that he may minister unto me in the Cohen's office. A breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a tunic, a mitre, and a girdle. The armor. <laughs> the armor of God. Oh, what was the that? The armor of God, absolutely. Yeah, when we get to the armor up in Ephesians, people, oh, as a matter of fact, I saw it represented that way twice in the past week, a Roman <laughs> soldier. Oh yeah, there's a Roman soldier. Yeah, it's always a Roman soldier that they that they equate the armor of God to, and that's not utterly wrong, but it's just sad that it doesn't convey the the full picture. All right. Yeah. That he may minister unto me in the Cohen's office. They'll take gold, tehillit, and purple, and scarlet, and fine linen. That's for the ephod. They shall make the ephod of gold, tehillit purple and scarlet. So they made gold thread. Do you realize that? Mm. Mm. Twine linen, two shoulder pieces joined to the two ends thereof, skillfully woven band, which is upon it, to gird it on, gold to helic, purple, scarlet, and fine twine linen. Take two onyx stones and engrave on it the names of B'nai Israel, the sons of Israel. Six of their names on the one stone and the names of the six that remain on the other stone, according to their birth. So in on, on here, you have them in the order of their birth on each stone, six on one, six on the other. You start on the right in Hebrew, right? Right. The so Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah. And I believe the next ones are Dan and Issachar, if I remember right. Naphtali. Dan and Naphtali. Mm -hmm. uh, um, okay, maybe. And then the other six on this side. All right. I've been trying to memorize them. Okay. <laughs> cool. So those black onyx stones, they're square. If I... If I can get to it before next week, I'll pull up images of these because I know the Temple Institute has them and I'll pull these up. Put the two stones upon the shoulder pieces of the ephod to be stones of memorial for the sons of Israel. Aaron shall bear their names before Yahweh upon his two shoulders for a memorial. Make chains for the breastplate of judgment. Like the ephod, you shall make it. Gold, blue, purple, scarlet, fine twine linen, shall you make it. Four square it'll be. Set in it four rows of stones, a row of Odin. And I put the actual stones because nobody really knows exactly what these are. There's debate about some of them. So I put the Hebrew words. Odin, Pita, Bareket in the first row. So there's three in a row, right? 
So there's four rows because it's 12. Mm -hmm. Sapir. Sapir, I do know, is sapphire. It's amazing how much the English looks like it. Mm -hmm. Yahalom, third row, Leshem, Shevo, Achlama, fourth row, Tarshish. That's interesting to me. Yeah. The sons of Tarshish, the ships of Tarshish, Shoan, mm -hmm. Musabot. What we might do next week is go into these stones because they represent the 12 tribes. And of course, each of those men was born in a certain month. The Jewish people from parts of what I have read believe they were born in, in one of the 12 months. Mm. Get what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So this is, I was gonna ask this, is that where we get the idea of the birth, birth stones that people sometimes I wear? Think I think the birthstones that people use are a perversion of this and a distraction away from this. Yeah. So I think it's, I think it's actually just for fun, me and my family, when the kids were little, we looked up all our stones from this setting. They'll be according to the names, 12 according to their names, carved like a signet, for the 12 tribes, plated chains of work for pure gold for the breastplate, put the two chains on the breastplate, put them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod in the forepart. So this is all making the ephod and the breastplate. So the ephod, who knows what the ephod is? It's the, it's the thing that goes under the breastplate? Yeah. It looks like it's basically a cloth breastplate. Right? And it goes under the gold breastplate. And it's made in a very similar fashion. It's got the straps, the shoulder stones up here. The the I think the breastplate holds the shoulder stones. The ephod, but the ephod has straps as well. We'll see it when I get an image up. Okay. All right, 12 stones on the breastplate. So the ephah is the plate carrier. Yes. And he shall put in the breastplate of judgment, ha-urim ve-hatumim. I still hear Southern preachers going, the urim and thummim. It drives me. I see the echoes in my head and probably will until I die. <laughs> Urim and Tumim. The lights. You lit up everything for sure. The lights and the purenesses. Tumim. Tam means pure. And this is the plural of it. Ur. Or is light. And this is the plural of it. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. And they'll be on his heart when he goes in before Yahweh. And so ancient Jewish tradition tells us, and I'm thinking it's probably reliable to some degree because they've been known to make stuff up as well, but I think this is probably true, that there's a pocket in the ephod 
and they put a parchment in the pocket that had God's name on it. Now, some of the rabbis will tell you that that name is actually a verse out of Exodus 12 that's 72 letters long, and that's the 72-letter name of God. Mm. I don't believe that. If it was God's name, it was God's name. They are, they are, people are forever trying to blot out God's name and change it for something. I personally just don't believe that God has a 72 letter name. What did he tell us his name was? Yeah. That's right. They shall be upon Aaron's heart when he goes before. Hello. <laughs> Can you say that? Can you say to me, is purity as a yes light and purity light and purity yes i was just being very literal to show you that it was plural but the thing i want to point out is aaron is wearing this light and pureness on his heart and Tradition says it's God's name. Whatever you believe his name is, I know what it is based on the word. What's the counsel of God? Oh. What is the counsel of God? Torah, Yeshua. His word. His word. Right. <laughs> so whatever you believe his name is, I do believe his name was put in that pocket. I believe it's this name. So it, it's like a reflection of God in the priest. Nothing could be more proper to me for him to walk in bearing the name of God on his chest, on his heart, symbolically. Mm -hmm. But what the Urim and, Urim, Urim and Tumim do practically is... They are the counsel of God in regard to what to do for war. Will God give us victory? The, the king would say. And you have only one instance where David consults the Urimbe to me. And it's, as far as I know, it's the oh, he's the only king to do it. There's never, if I missed it, forgive me, but I haven't found another king who did that, who consulted the Urimbe to me. And David did it to find out if he should go to war. And God, if I'm remembering right, God said yes. Maybe in the book of Joshua, there was another instance. I think there is now that I think about it. But Joshua wasn't a king, was he? No. He was a foreshadowing of Yeshua, certainly, but he was not a king. All right. So what would happen is the king would come to the priest and say, do we go? Do we go into war? And the letters on the plate would light up giving the giving the king his answer they would in my mind they probably lit up in the order that they needed to be read okay so that's amazing to me yes and it would be the name of god and the communication between the priest in regard to having done all the sacrifices right securing atonement and the king coming in the right attitude and asking God his counsel and the priest just has to stand there and the light and the pureness shows up and tells him what to do. It's weird that we're talking about it because Melanie and I are praying about things, guidance for our lives. And I've been begging Abba to let me see the counsel of his word clearly because I don't want to do anything else but what he wants me to do. And 
So, you know, this might all just be for me tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and that's okay, too. <laughs> he shall bear the judgment of Israel upon his heart before Yahweh continually. That's a that's a heavy load to tow, isn't it? Yeah, what an anointing to have. Yep. What does that mean, do you think? Well, let's look at it a little more closely in Hebrew. Okay. Looking at verse 30. Minatata el Hoshin. Let me see, it's toward the end of the verse, isn't it? Yeah. The Nasa Aharon et Mishpat Bene Israel Alibo. He shall lift up or carry the judgment of the sons of Israel on his heart. Think on that for a minute. And what do you think it means? Nasa. Lift up or carry. <clears throat> that he will continually have the, um, like, like you say, the burden of Israel, like uh, concerning them, uh, going to the Father on their behalf and just yeah. the compassion for them. And, and could, we say, could we say responsibility would fit? Yeah. I think so. But even so, having a because we use we use mishpat judgment to make decisions by, mm -hmm. right? I believe that's what he's talking about. Ultimately, the decision is Aaron's, and if he gets it from God, he knows that Israel's going to go in the right direction. If the priest is right with God and gives counsel to the king, they will go in the right direction at the right time. That's what I believe it says. Mm -hmm. Because no man can carry someone else's sin, right? Right. He's not standing and in, in, in suffering their judgment, which some people think this says. I don't think that's what it's saying. Any thoughts? Was, was there a concept that Aaron needs to make sure that he is um, walking uh, properly towards Abba to be able to hear well? Absolutely. It's not about hearing his voice so much as it is just doing what he's supposed to do as a priest and being there as a representative between God and, and Israel. And if he does everything that he's supposed to do, then God is going to communicate his truth. Yes. Wow. But yeah, it, he, his was the responsibility. Take that to the home, the man and the wife. Doesn't Paul say that the man bears that responsibility? Mm -hmm. Doesn't Paul say that the priest or the husband is the head of the household yeah. under Messiah? Mm-hmm. So if the household goes, goes awry, goes in the wrong direction, whose fault is it? It's that man he gave us. It's that man. It's the man. <laughs> Absolutely. It's the man. 
he's at fault. Now he might also be at fault because his, he listened to his wife and not to God. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And that happens a lot. Absolutely. That woman you gave me <laughs> turned it right back on. You did not trace that Jezebel. <laughs> All right. We're almost out of time. Um, only had go it goes to 43 43 verse 40 oh yeah we got two minutes so yeah we're gonna have to pick up at verse 31 next week somebody write that down write that down got it okay shelly anything else before we wrap up no i just look forward well, you and tracy were going back and forth with that that man who gave me that woman i was thinking about the water boy that woman <laughs> <is> the devil. <laughs> if if any of y'all like archaeology, um, uh, hey, look my little Jezebel. Um, oh, I can't think of his name right now. Strickling, what is his first name? Anyhow, he just published that he has officially published just a few days ago that. Thanks for tuning in to listen to this week's Torah study class. In the description, you'll find all the links to our website and social media content. Please make sure you're subscribed to our podcast, as we can be found on all major podcast platforms. If you feel compelled to support this ministry, please feel free to do so by donating via the Get the Word Out link in the description. All proceeds go toward growing this platform and the Mikdash Mayat ministry. Until the next time, we pray God blesses you with shalom in the name of Yahweh Yeshua Mashiach.